Welcome back to another episode of The Wannabe Entrepreneur, the podcast about what's really like bootstrap a company. And today we have another super interesting interview for you. I have with me Rosie Sherry. Hey, Rosie, welcome to the show. Hey, Tiago. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much to take the time to speak about something that is very dear to me, which is communities. As the listeners probably know, my main product at the moment is the WB Space, a community for bootstrappers, a place where we support each other to build our own products. And I kind of started without even noticing this community. As you know, I started as kind of a side gig of my podcast and it turned out to be a product of its own. So a lot of the things that I've learned have been just by kind of intuition and going with the flow. So it's really great to have Rosie here, an expert in communities. She worked on uh, indie hackers. She bootstrapped her own community, the Ministry of Testing, and uh, she has a lot of experience in this realm. So I have a lot of questions for you, Rosie. So I'm super, super excited to have you here on the podcast. And to kick things off, I would love to ask you to give a little introduction about yourself, about your path, and how you become this community expert that you are today. Yeah, I guess like I've been, I've been in tech 20 years, 20 plus years now. And I started, I started as a, as a software tester and kind of along the way I, I discovered community. Um, and that was, that was kind of like 2006 ish. And I, I think like when I discovered it, I kind of knew that was what I wanted to do as I it completely, uh, kind of, I guess I would say blew me away. It's like, it was the first thing that like actually, seriously took my interest and like I, that's when I I guess started re- reading books properly like cover, you know back to fr- front to back kind of thing um I started learning a lot about community a lot about marketing in general a lot about business um there was no indie hacking back then but you know there was some you know at least for the time there was some interesting things happening, a good like local tech scene. And actually like my first step into community was doing some local meetups um, in my home t- in my current hometown, uh, Brighton. I, that was a Brighton Girl Geek Dinners meetup and I did that for two years. And, and basically for two years straight, like every meetup was just like fully booked. Uh, generally just like within 24 hours, it was like full up. Um, and it just touched on something that, like, I, I, I love doing it. I didn't love getting up in front of people or any and doing any of that. I just loved the idea of pulling people together. And I guess, like, the, the more I kind of went down that rabbit hole, the more I was just like, oh, community is so right. It, like, it feels like something that the world needs more of. And I kind of started exploring well, how, how how can I do more community? Um, and there weren't many jobs back then in community, and obviously it was like a different world. Uh, it wasn't remote. It was hard, you know, you'd have to commute or things like that. So, um, like, getting a job in community wasn't really an option. So instead, I ended up just, like, starting my own. Um, and I was the tester at the time, and I was just like, oh, I think the world... The world definitely needs a better testing community. 
because I, I didn't like what was out there. So I was like, oh, I'll just start one really just for fun uh, with no expectations or commitment to stick with it. But um, I, I stuck with it for for 10 years and it's still going. But I, I built it like from starting as an online uh, kind of forum and then over the years kind of building up conferences and events and training um, and, you know, getting to... At our peak was like 1.5 million dollars a year, doing conferences like literally around the world as well. And this is the Ministry of Testing, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess like you know, I I loved it. I you know, I I I did love doing it. I loved the idea of pulling people together and um, serving the community, especially like as a tester myself. and just like the idea that I could, or that I did bootstrap that, and that in the end we did build a team around it, and it's it's still going. So it's been like thirteen years, oh no, fifteen Amazing. years, fifteen years that it's been going. Wow! Um, so like two thousand and seven, and still going without me. I handed it over for someone else to run. He's he's a current CEO. He currently has ownership in it as well. So I ca- I kind of see him as like the third co-founder that the mm-hmm. other one was my husband who helped with the tech the whole concept of actually i started something i helped transform an industry over those yeah, 15 yeah. years as just like this <laughs> person just like you know having fun in the in the background mm-hmm. try, just trying to do fun things and just trying creating to- your own job kind of as well right yeah creating your own profession somehow <laughs> yeah yeah it's very interesting i have seen people's lives kind of trans transformed along the way in what way do you think it impacted the industry of testing well i think if you, if there's a before and after like before <laughs> ministry of testing every it the industry was boring there wasn't there wasn't a lot there it, all the right. content out there was kind of um, geared towards passing like certificate tests you know exam mm-hmm. exams um or all the content was very specific around uh, a certain amount of tools um and there just wasn't like good think enough good thinking around testing enough like ideas being generated enough people like getting together and talking about well what what is testing how can we improve it what what can we do better mm-hmm. and then if you look at it like post ministry of testing it's like it there's lots of people talking about testing there's lots of people doing talks and, and attending conferences and um, there's people blogging about it there's you know you know people who mm-hmm. Who have grown up through Ministry of Testing and have like started like as a, I guess a junior type role, and have now kind of either test managers, test directors, or even just like moving out of testing and moving more towards a kind of product role or you know right. a more g- generic test uh, tech role. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, and and I I just think like the world before Ministry of Testing was like, it felt like there was no hope, nowhere to gather, nowhere to meet meet testers. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like Ministry of Testing had a huge part to 
play in that change. Mm-hmm. And what kind of software testers are in, in the Ministry of Testing? Is like the web QA, is it maybe network testing, something more sophisticated? A bit of everything, to be honest. You get people who work for startups, you get people who work for banks, you get people who work uh, specifically in security type testing. Mm. uh, And those are very different realms, right? Like someone that is a QA for a web product has probably very different, even expertise uh, than someone that is maybe testing a a bank security, for instance, right? Definitely. It's like, it's a a huge, huge difference. So you said you started as as a tester and then you kind of learn that you liked doing communities and you said that it kind of blew you away. But I heard as well in some of your other interviews that you identify yourself as kind of an introvert. But one would say that you need to be kind of an extrovert to to, to like this, to be attracted to communities. So wh- what is your take on it? Why do you think you like building communities so much? I don't, I don't think you have to be an extrovert. I don't think people even should be an extrovert. I think like extroverts tend to... Um, it's it's a bit of a generic statement, but like extroverts are probably more suited to building uh, an audience rather than a community. What is the difference? Well, like uh, uh, an audience is like people, uh, um, I guess, looking one way at the person who's who's creating the the community. They they like focus on what one specific specific person or maybe a group of people, and those that group of people. Uh, they benefit the most. They're gonna like you know they they reap the rewards of 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 the attention of the audience. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in community, people uh, the whole idea is that you're helping the people and the people are helping each other, and it's it's not right. You, you, d- you don't really want someone leading it, someone who's the I guess uh, uh, the authority or the leader. Yeah. Obviously, you need leaders, but like the leaders in my opinion, need to be able to uh, put themselves in the shoes of the members and do what's right for the mm-hmm. members rather than doing what's right. right to, like, kind of grow grow their audience. It's a very, a very great yeah. point. I make decisions because they're the right decisions, not because they're the ones that make me the most money or bring me the most mm. followers um, or helps build up my email list, for example. And I'm very mm-hmm. much a person that when I make decisions, I try to make decisions that are right for the community. And right. if, they're, if, if they're not right for the community, then I, I, I kind of, um, <laughs> I, I can't do it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I guess that's my philosophy is like, yeah. um, I have to believe that the things that I'm doing are going to help build the community or benefit mm-hmm. the community in, in, in some kind of way. It's a very interesting concept. The the difference between building an audience and building a community. I've never thought of that, but it's true. It's completely different. And when I take, for instance, the, the WB space as an example, that community really started growing when people started to interact with each other, right? So I, if I'm not the center of the community, that was kind of also my goal, uh, or if I am the center of the community, then the community depends on me, right? So it, it's not scalable. But if if I'm not the center and I just enable the members to have fun and take all the value that they can from that community, that's how it grows, right? It, people have value from each other and not from one single entity. 
Yeah, and it's also about seeing the the value in in people or the the, the things that people can give. And I don't think people who build audiences are necessarily looking for that. Uh, mm-hmm. But like whenever I'm speaking to someone or communicating with someone, I'm always looking for something that they might be able to give back, and right. in a in a way that they can also benefit. Um, and I mean, like a typical example is that I've I'm, I've started a, a series of um, I don't want to call them events, but um, let, let's call them events for now. But really, they're just com- conversations, online conversations with with mm-hmm. other people. And the way that I'm starting it is like when I'm communicating with people, wherever it might be, Twitter, email, whatever, it's like when when I see that someone's excited about an idea, I I jump on that idea and I say, hey, let's have a conversation about this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can, here's a topic we can, that that we're excited about to explore. Let's, you know, agree a date. record our conversation, invite other people in if they want to listen in or contribute and, and take notes along the way. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's like a, a very small example of seeing that actually someone has something to give because they're excited about a topic and they're excited to, to, yeah. to explore it. And we can work through that together. Right. Um, you know, and, and people have other things to give. You say, you know, it's typically like, um, like I would give people their first speaking opportunities because I, you know, I would see potential in their ideas or their, you know, ability to speak, or like people like hosting like uh, events as well. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would always be looking for because because I never wanted to host events like get up on stage and like right. int- introduce people. Uh, so I was always looking for candidates to do that, and I would look, you know, basically pay attention to who's who's in the community and who. Yeah. Who might enjoy that? Who might benefit from that? And how co- how can we make it like a right. win-win scenario? Yeah, but what what is your benefit on that? Like your own roses benefit? Like, did, did you want it to learn from them? Did do you get some energy from listening from someone else's passion? Like, why did you want someone to put someone in, in the stage and speak about their passions? Like, what what do you get from that? It's not necessary. What do I get from it? It's like what the community gets from it. Right, right so, but but I mean, oh. you you started it, right? Like it's a passion of yours. You you were yeah. blown away by community. So there's something that attracts you there. Something that eventually you might take from it as well, right? Something that puts a smile on your face. And what is that? It's just like you like to empower people. You like to learn from other people. Like what what is that? Yeah. I think it's empower empowering people. It's like um, you know, a, bi- a big part of me thinks like the world is like truly unjust in the way that people get opportun- opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I go out there looking to give opportunities in, in different ways. Like, so right. like, for example, like if you apply for a job, like the whole process of, of applying for a job is, is horrible. It's tedious. It's like unfair. Um, people don't truly get seen when they're sending in their CVs and stuff like that. Um and and if you flip that like to the way that I do it in the fact that oh I'm having conversations with people or someone's attending an event and we have a good time, I tap into their personality, their character, and I see the, the what they have to give, even if mm-hmm. they don't see it themselves. And and then I approach them with the opportunity and I tell them that they're that they're worthy of it and they're capable of yeah. it. And yeah. then. For someone to be at the receiving end of that is almost life-changing because people 
rarely are rarely told that they're you know not it just doesn't happen enough and it's crazy that yeah. it doesn't happen enough right yeah so no, i totally agree yeah yeah and i i get a kick out of that but i also you know going back to like my community way of doing things i just feel like it's the right thing to do it's right for the community it will build up the industry it will, it will uh, help grow my community um and that person that i've just given that opportunity to will always uh, remember it as long as they have a positive experience um so it's just like you know they'll keep coming back for, for years years to come and that that is kind of like what happened during ministry of testing is that I was uh, so often I was there to give people their first speaking gigs and they would first come as an attendee and then I got a reputation of like um, getting people uh, at events to apply so that like at future events they, they would end up speaking mm-hmm. and then <laughs> th- th- they would come back years on end just like you know because they appreciate the community and, and the vibes and the people yeah. um, and yeah, and like what as much as I like I love marketing, that's like my marketing way of doing it, but it's not it's not really marketing, it's just community. It's very interesting what you just said uh, that community gives opportunities to people. I I was I I was like the the thought that came to my mind is like the world itself is one big community, let's say, right? But it's too big, right? So it's really hard for everyone to have a voice. Uh, and then communities, these things that we start creating are small groups inside the world where you kind of talk with each other. So there's more space for giving a voice to people. And this kind of kind of brings me to one of my big questions. And I guess we are kind of starting from the end, which is how to scale the community, right? Because you create something small uh, and then everyone has the opportunity to speak. Everyone has the opportunity to go on stage but then as the community grows, somehow these opportunities get lost again because there's too many people. Um, did this ever happen to you in one of the communities that you built that it just like scaled and it got too big and you lost the, this community vibe? Yeah, I think a lot a lot of communities kind of end up going, going that way and it's really hard to, uh, I think, keep the balance. Um I like to think of it in a way that um, I think people think about scaling and they see this like growth chart, like, you know, forever going upwards Mm -hmm. uh, line. Um, But I think in community, it's like you don't grow upwards, you grow across in the fact that um, you, you you end up creating little groups of people, of things, um, of, of networks of, or events and it's the other people who in some of it can be super intentional other it doesn't always have to be super intentional so like let's say like ha- having like a, a meetup a local chapter of a meetup can be like super intentional is that you put effort into creating that and then and then before you know before you know it you've got like 100 200 meetups across the globe and there's mm-hmm. several, uh, there's many examples of like companies or communities that, that have done that. Um, Indie Hackers did that for a while. Um, uh, Mind, Mind the Product um, mm-hmm. did that. Um, Duolingo did that, for example. Uh, Ministry of Testing did that um, as, as like one of our 
uh, strategies is that we started creating meetups uh, where our conferences were, and then other people saw those meetups and they're like, oh, we want a meetup in our hometown. So mm. we would like help facilitate it. Um, so partly it grows, it grows across, it grows with, with other um, smaller groups. Right. Um, so that it hopefully maintains kind of like the culture, um, mm-hmm. the culture of the community that, you know, the vibe, the, 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 the way uh, uh, people do things in the community, what they do uh, as, you know, as much as possible, that, that kind of sticks um, with the community. Um, if it's always like the leader trying to control everything, like rarely it work. It rarely works, um, and I think like I think the biggest struggle of keeping that culture and keeping keeping that that growth is is not to for me it's like not to get carried away with like the kind of vanity metrics and numbers, mm-hmm. um, and really always kind of be focusing on on the people and what they want and. Also, like understanding that the world and communities change quickly, and you have to constantly be adapting. And like Ministry of Testing was well, it started online, but seventy percent of the revenue came from physical events, mm. um, and they had to adapt quickly. Okay, um, so that's a and, good question that I have. Like, so how were you making seven figures out of uh, Ministry of Testing then? Or with events, tickets, uh, that's, that's the business model? Pre-COVID, it was like 70% events and then 20% uh, kind of sponsorship, uh, advertising, marketing type stuff. Mm-hmm. And then 10% membership. Oh, only 10%? Yeah, like we had made starts on it, but we had we, we were like always so busy doing the events that we never gave the membership um, the the attention it needed right until obviously like covid happened and then mm. we're like oh we've got to focus on the events now. yeah but um i think to our advantage like that it was set up like functionally technology wise to mm-hmm. do events and we had already made some progress so it kind of made it easier um to to push to push that forward Mm-hmm. But it's still it's still not easy. I think they're like at two thousand members, um, paid members at the moment. Which um, I, I I don't even look at the numbers anymore, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, I think that accounts for about fifty um, percent of the revenue. Oh, okay, and it's quite good. Yeah, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. And then the other chunk of it at the moment is basically sponsorship. Um, so when when yeah. COVID happened. We were doing sponsorship, but then they basically pushed harder on the sponsorship and right. that probably equates to around around fifty percent. So what what is the text tech stack of uh, Ministry of Testing? How do you keep the people online? Do you use Slack? Do you use Discord? Do you have your own platform? The Slack, there is a, a discourse which which is a forum as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also tightly integrated into a custom website, um, which is uh, okay. Okay, yeah, it's all sorts of tech stuff that I never mm-hmm. get into. But. Yeah, and then just for me to understand again or kind of summarize, you're doing events, and uh, these events uh, people just buy a ticket to join this event, and that's how you're making initially most of, of the revenue. 
Uh, and then you have memberships. I guess the members will have access to certain things that the non-paying members don't have. And then you, you you mentioned sponsorships, and that's what I'm interested. Like, how does this sponsorship work? Like, do you just send an email to all the members with your newest sponsor? Uh, how how does that work? What do you have to do to get the sponsorship? Yeah, sponsorship is hard. So, like, as as part of the platform and the membership, and just like everything that Ministry of Testing does, they they produce a lot of content. So they they do they have events, they have online events. They have AMAs, um, mm-hmm. and so there's there's a lot going on constantly. Um, and the sponsorships they didn't happen overnight. Um, most of them are with kind of uh, tool vendors, uh, people, companies that ha- uh, kind of create testing tools, testing mm-hmm. you know um, right. tools for testers. Um, <laughs> they're the ones that always seem to have the budget to sponsor. Um, uh, marketing right. budget. So basically, it's like going after ma- marketing budget that these these companies have. Um, but the the companies we've worked with have basically just like relationships have been built over the years. I I produce a weekly email. Okay. I'm looking for sponsorship for the email, and that's mm-hmm. you know as time went on, makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. uh, like that that email uh, spot was like booked a year in advance. I was like, okay, um, this is this is good. Companies like paying in like bulk, not like individual ones. So we'd like sell them in bulk. Okay. We'd in- increase the price gradually. And some people say charge more, but like my philosophy has always been like, well, start low and build your confidence up, and and, and then like increase yeah. the prices um, until until it feels until it feels right. Um, mm-hmm. But then, like sponsorship over time has grown to you can sponsor an online event, um, so we do a monthly event, uh, or we can send out a message to our LinkedIn group, or we, mm. we'll post messages on on social um, about about you know whatever you want about your product right, or whatever. Right, so it's like right. um, some of it is just brand awareness as mm-hmm. well. It's a, it's a lot of kind of trying things out. It's a lot of um, asking people kind of. What do they want? What would they benefit from? Got it. Um, I think over time, it's hopefully count me on this, but I, I hope like marketing people who, are, who have the budgets for these kind of things, um, they need to kind of um, realize that we need to experiment with how we do sponsorship because a sponsorship results are always changing. Like click through rates are always changing. People over over the years are clicking less and less on mm-hmm. on ads, right, for example. Um, but quite often, it's it's about it's about brand awareness and like if people know that something has existed because they've seen it somewhere or they've seen it on Ministry of Testing. Mm-hmm. And when, when they're right. ready, that they'll they'll come there. But it's mm-hmm. like you can't you can't always track those kind of right. things. I mean, you can use affiliate links, right? That's for that. Where people, when they remember, they can use your link and then you get uh, your share. Uh, yeah, but like affiliate links, they have a time span and you have to click it. You have to click it on the same computer. It's like, I think it's yeah. flawed. Yeah. You know, I, I really think it's a flawed mm-hmm. flawed way of, of like doing things. And like then the motivate motivation, if it's affiliate, you like you want people clicking. So you, you kind of start enforcing links right. on things. Whereas... 
I, I really think that a lot of um, sponsorship is, is, is about raising the brand awareness so that when people have the problem, then not only do people in the community say, oh, I've seen this, I'm aware mm -hmm. of this because they've become aware of it through sponsorship, but hopefully they can also say positive things about them or have a good feeling about the company because they they have have been sponsoring Ministry of Testing. Exactly. And generally, yeah, companies yeah. that sponsor Ministry of Testing are good companies. Not everyone just gets in to yeah. be able to, to, to sponsor. Because it's much easier as well for, for one person to acquire or click even in something if this link comes from a, a, a reputable source, someone that you trust, right? And so if this link comes from Ministry of Testing, the chances of this person clicking or using once once the time comes, it's much higher. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, let, let's take like a, a step back to, because we kind of started speaking about scaling up, which is like problems or even like monetization, which are problems that most of the times come a little bit more uh, along the, the journey of building a community. But let's say that someone is now thinking on uh, starting their community, right? They, they want to do that. What, what should be the first step for someone that wants to start a community? Uh, it's, I'd say it's a mixture of doing your research and having lots of conversations with people. I think people start with community and they they just have to like take take 10 100 steps backwards and and it, it's it's kind of like saying i want a saas business so you know they spin up a saas and say there it is it's going to work mm -hmm. um and i think too too many people think that like they can spin up a a forum or a discord server or slack and think mm -hmm. that the people are just going to come but just like building a saas or any kind of business people right. just won't come and you have to like build relationships you have to understand your people you have to know what they're talking about and mm -hmm. you, you just like you, you can't really connect with people at their level unless you have those conversations um and to yeah. get to those conversations you have to do your research of like who who you want to have those conversations with and like right. align align those people that you think would benefit from your community Right. Um, and, you know, spend time hanging out with them and mm -hmm. um, figuring out the, the kind of ecosystem and uh, mm -hmm. spotting the opportunities and the gaps that, that you can serve. Does it need to be in, in a scope that you also are passionate about? I always recommend that because otherwise, if you're not passionate about it, then, like, community is, is hard. Um, and... You lose interest and like the the moment like you're not excited about it i feel like community is is a lot about energy and if you can't bring that energy to the room if you can't right see something that's so exciting because you you'd be down a rabbit hole and you want to share it with the community it's like you're not going to have that if you're not yeah. passionate about the the industry you mm -hmm. serve it doesn't always have to be the case but i think like you know that there's always exceptions, right? There's always like mm -hmm. people come from, you know, a different background. But mm -hmm. I think generally speaking, you got to care about the the industry you're trying to serve. Yeah, yeah. I, I also agree with that. Let's say you do your research uh, and you already know what is the topic uh, you want to focus your community on and then you want to you, you get started. Is there some kind of 
tech stack that you recommend anyone starting, like using Slack or Discourse or something? Or what what should people do? Like, what should be the next steps once you already know what is the topic of your community? People are interested in tech stacks. It's like the easy thing to jump to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when people think of community tools, they think of uh, forums and slacks and discords, like chat spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the more, kind of like the more I think about it, it's like you got to like take things in stages. Um, okay. And you, like you got to start somewhere and, and, you, and you, you shouldn't start with a discord or, or a slack or a forum. In most cases, what what you should start with is like tools that help you communicate. So typically, these tools are called marketing tools. And my, my theory at the moment, um, I love marketing, but like yeah. e- like email marketing tools, uh, they're not email marketing tools; they're email tools. And anyone right. can use an email tool, right? Community mm-hmm. builders can use email tools. Marketers can use email tools. Interesting. Uh, SaaS software will use email tools to send transactional type emails. There's all these different types of use for communication type tools. Email mm-hmm. tools is one of them. Um, but like at the moment, they're branded marketing tools. Right. So you think they should start with these kind of tools, like creating a newsletter, rather than immediately starting with a Slack channel, for instance? De- definitely. A newsletter, a blog, uh, a, a video, a YouTube channel, mm. uh, TikTok. You know, it depends, you know, where, where your, your people are. Uh, Twitter, I love Twitter. But, um, yeah. you know, start, start like, basically just, like, finding ways to communicate with people and building up a reputation around the things that you do so that when, when you are basically ready to launch a community, people come in naturally. And I think that's, like, the key to, like, making a community work is that you don't Mm. want to force it. You don't want to be constantly promoting it. You want people just to naturally come in and say, oh, you know, people have heard about it or they've seen you write about this or you have a good reputation or a friend, you helped out their friend who recommended you and all these, all these like little things that you do with those like initial conversations you have with the initial research that you have and you start like, proactively communicating with people, uh, sending out emails, you know, all, all these kind of things, participating in other communities or participating mm-hmm. online. And um, the, then the result comes, like, when you do start a community, people are, like, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not a big sell. It's, like, people are interested to join. They're, they're curious. They're, you know, they they yeah, they, rem- yeah. they remember it. They might not join straight away, but they, they might remember it, or they might recommend it to their friend because they mm-hmm. they trust you that you you know you're a good person, you're doing good things. So, so it seems that you're saying that you first need to kind of build an audience, and then you kind of transfer this audience to a community, right? Yeah, I would say so. Generally speaking, you need to build an audience and understand the ecosystem. Yeah, and, and now that I think about it, so as I told you as well, the way the WB space started, it was kind of organic. I didn't even know that I wanted to do that, but it it came from the podcast, right? So I, I created the podcast, and then I started inviting the the people I interviewed 
to the Slack channel, then as a, a perk for the members of a podcast, I'll say you can also join the Slack channel. But I never thought on this as its own product. And then suddenly, after maybe three, four months of doing this, I noticed that like there were a lot of conversations popping up in the Slack channel that I was not part of. I was like, okay, interesting. I mean, this is super valuable. And then the idea of actually building a community on top of that came to be. But you're absolutely right. First, I built an audience. I built an audience around bootstrapping. So that's, that's very interesting. Yeah, and it's obvious, right? Let's say as as we're talking about it, it's obvious. Yeah, but, yeah. but it's it's not obvious. Like even to me, it's only like recently that I've started talking it about it in this way. As mm. as I've been like, um, as I moved away from like leading communities to kind of trying to think about how do communities actually work and how can yeah. I help people build better communities that I'm like trying to come up with these. Uh, better ways of of communicating it but like w when i say it like i have now people get it they're like you know if if they've like had any kind of traction with their community of the or if they've seen other communities they can they can relate that experience and they can say no that that's actually true that's how yeah, communities do happen definitely. yeah um, and yeah. people do it naturally just like you have done you know mm -hmm. i i did it naturally when i was starting out yeah Interesting. Yeah. And a lot of people around me with podcasts, with their own SaaS, they end up always wanting to to build a community, even even if it's not for monetization reasons, they just they just build it. And so let's say that uh, you, you you have your audience, right? And then you're you're ready to create your your community. Um, and I guess there's a, a first real like important question that you need to ask yourself. Is it going to be a paid community? Or is it going to be a free community? And uh, before I, I even like get, share my own experience, wh what do you think? Do you think people should go for free or paid? It's it's a really good question. Um, I struggle a bit with paid communities. Um, I think I th I think it's like whatever. At the end of the day, it's like whatever works for your community. And like some some like industries are like super happy to you know they have no issue paying like a membership fee. Mm -hmm. Other industries just will never never do that. So you know it it depends on on who you're trying to serve. Um, I I do think these days like when you're trying to build a free community is definitely harder to oh, really um to put to to get. You can like get people in, but then to get them to uh, participate or contribute yeah, is is exactly. harder mm -hmm. and harder. It's it's kind of probably it's probably kind of like you know like how advertising used to work really well, mm -hmm. um, but over the years it's like declined. Um, I I feel like there's a, a similar not not the same but like a similar kind of trend that people are joining communities. Um, with good intentions but to get to get them to actually like contribute in any kind of way is is super hard because to on you know they have these they have like 50 slack start on the exactly, sidebar yeah, yeah. or 50 discords or even now like 50 circles yeah. maybe not quite 50 but like even if it's like more than five it's just like there's a lot of competition in it and it's hard to um prioritize participating in, in community unless there's an urgent need 
or ur- urgent use case. Yeah, I, I have the same experience because, uh, for instance, uh, my community is paid and I notice that the people that pay, and it's actually, I think it's quite cheap. So you pay uh, $5 a month. But even then, and when I started, it was even cheaper. But just paying a little bit, it's already, it's already filters out a lot of the people that won't be active. So I really noticed that most, most of the people that join are very active. And then if I compare, for instance, with a, a similar community, which is uh, Indie Worldwide, which is a free community, has a ton, thousands of members, but people engage much less. And I do think that there's value in both. And the monetization, maybe it's different, right? So maybe for a free community, you will make money with events, right? So you make events and you sell tickets, and that's how you make your, your money. Whereas maybe for a paid community, you, you're just making money with the subscriptions, right? Yeah, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, uh, communities are just, to some extent, they're just like other businesses. You, exactly, you just yeah. have to choose business model like some communities they sell products right like you look at figma they have mm-hmm. a super active community or notion right but right but like you know behind that is our products that that they you know they want to basically sell mm-hmm. um so uh, and then like ministry of testing like events um some are like info products or cohorts for example mm-hmm. um uh, Rosie Land that that I'm doing is kind of a mixture of free, um, so I do some free content. I've got a free forum. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got um, free discourse. Um, I charge for membership for content that that I write or produce. Mm-hmm. So there's like some like private content behind the wall. Um, I'm also doing a, a cohort next month, which which I'm charging for, mm. um, and. Yeah, I think my next avenue is to to seek some sponsorship. So, right. uh, I you know I'm basically like spreading spreading my 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 options, mm-hmm. um, because like I think in the community world, for, for for my market, I think there's companies that would pay to get associated with my Rosie Land mm-hmm. um, brand, and that would help support me to kind of continue yeah. producing producing things. Um, and Rosyland is a, is about helping people to build their own communities. Yeah, it's, mm. yeah. Basically, I'm just like trying to explore better ways of building communities. Interesting. Um, through community stuff like forums and events, um, but also just uh, kind of refining my way of thinking about community um, and trying to teach people about how how to mm. how to do that. Okay, so let's say that you you already decided if you want to do public, uh, free or, or a private paid community, but now you need to, to get your users. And I guess, again, it's going to be easier in this case for the free communities to get users uh, because it's free. But, and since you love marketing so much, maybe this is something that comes very easy to you. For me, it's really hard. Like, how do I convince people or how to advertise my community, right? So at the moment, I'm using Indie Hackers and, and Twitter because it's a bootstrappers community. Uh, what, what other mediums and platforms can people use to then attract other members to their communities? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think like um, as an indie platform or community, you're, you know, you're doing things in the right spaces. I'll probably add product to that maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
I would say it's it's more about um, I I, th I think like the 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 challenge with paid communities is communicating what goes on inside the communities. Yeah, it's uh, because it's it's all hidden away, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. and it's and it's uh, not as easy to share it or extremely like, hard. Yeah, yeah, you have to ask permission. Um, so um, it's it's a challenge. I think that's the hardest part with with paid communities is how how do you get people to taste what it's like within yeah. the community? I did before, a, I did try a trial. Done. Yeah, I did try a, a trial, uh, like a two weeks trial once, but I immediately stopped because it was weird. You know, people would just join and ghost. You know, ghosters they wouldn't say anything. They would just like lurk there. And it felt weird, you know, like to have people just trying out and leaving because it feels like a little family, you know, and then just having people to join for a week and then leave didn't work so well. So I, I, you're absolutely right. Like how to can to show to people how, how it feels to be in this community is extremely, extremely hard. I always think that the best way to grow your community is through the people, the people that you have. Um, so... Like instead of like focusing on what you don't have, is like focus on what you do have and focus on the people that 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 are in there, right? And making them get the best value from the community, making them have a, you know success or sharing their successes or mm -hmm. like um, when I was in uh, indie hackers, I used to love helping people get their first sales through like um, surprising people with with a tweet about their product um, and and naturally as india because they would love that right yeah of um so it's like it's like what what would uh what would really benefit your members that, that you could do for them and um, right. how can you how, how can they get value that they they wouldn't get anywhere else and mm -hmm. um if, if you focus on like just making get making them as content as can be then Growth might take a while, but it will come naturally. It'll be your mm. members talking about it with with other people. It'll yeah. be like, oh, you should, you know, they, you know, it's that natural growth again. Is that you want you want it just to happen naturally and for people to mm -hmm. to to sign up. But yeah. you, to do that, you can't ask them to do the marketing for you. You just have to make them feel so good that yeah. they, can, they can't help but but talk about the the community. Yeah. And that's already happening uh, with the WB space, and that makes me feel really, really nice and and good when I see that that happening. And you're absolutely right; I should incentivize that more and and create the conditions for that to happen. And that leads me also to the next question, which is: I have this good thing going, right? This community, and which I'm also kind of a member of, right? And I love being there. It really helps me as well building my own products. And then there's this little voice in the back of my head that says, "Tiago." you'll lose it all. Like you'll screw it up because how, how are you going to scale it? What should be your next community feature? What should be your next event? Like, you know, how do you improve your community? Is it like taking feedback from your users or from your members? Do you like do whatever your members tell you to do? Um, how, how, how should you manage that? Yeah, it's tough, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> It's it's really it's, it's really tough. So like when I started Rosyland, let's say as an example, it was mm -hmm. just a newsletter. It was just this simple weekly curated newsletter, um, and that that's like two and a half years ago now. Um, and 
you know, I, I don't have tens of thousands of email subscribers. I don't promote my stuff um, too heavily anywhere, actually, outside of like my Twitter. Um, but like that newsletter then became a paid newsletter that then became me do, doing more writing and then it became me doing events. And then it became um, me doing doing a forum. Um, and then it, it ho- hopefully next in my line is like a, a, a podcast. Um, oh, nice. But like, I, I honestly, I, I never intended it to be a community. And um, I think you can see the truth in that because of what I called it. It's like Rosie Lad. It was just a, meant <laughs> to be a simple uh, Rosie's thoughts on, on community yeah. and mm-hmm. Ro- Rosie's curation thing thing on community it wasn't meant to be a community but it kind of naturally evolved that way and basically like as as you're building community the the deeper you go the more opportunities you see and it's like like you know I, I used to think that I would like run out of ideas of what to write about or not have any kind of like direction for what I was doing or mm-hmm. uh, like kind of community product ideas. Um, but the re- the reality is like I could do so much and I know that like in time, mm-hmm. whatever I do will succeed in its own kind of ways. Like some will fail, some will succeed. Right. Um, but the deeper you go, um, basically like in community, you can't help but go deep. And that becomes your competitive advantage because you start seeing things that nobody else sees. Right. Because you're paying attention to all the conversations, you're paying attention mm-hmm. to the to the relationships. And then as time goes on, you'll start to see recurring themes. You'll start to say, oh, someone's asked for this. Uh, once you might ignore it, but once someone, uh, people have asked for something like five times, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. maybe that's something interesting to explore. Right. Um. It doesn't mean that you should do everything that people say, but yeah. it's like, um, you know, I, I think it's taken it, taken in balance what the community wants and what you want as the direction of, mm-hmm. of the community. So, and what is your relationship with, with the members of your community? Because uh, for me, it's a paid community, but even if it's not, I guess you are the creator, the, you're running the community, uh, and you also want to become kind of part of, you know, a member as well, right? Like they kind of become your friends and they are your friends and your clients, at least that's also for me the case. Um, So it's sometimes a bit weird, right? Because uh, if I'm a friend, I I should be more honest. But if I'm uh, offering a product, then, you know, the client is always right. So how do you manage this relationship? It's a good question. Uh, Is a client always right? Um, Maybe... Uh, there's a, like ministry of testing o- often gets the complaints from certain people that it should be free mm-hmm. and like for free mem- you know for for members like we have paid content behind a wall um and some people say oh well you should do it for free and we're like well uh, no um, <laughs> and obviously they're not, they're, they're not paying members right but still i would treat any member free or paid um with with respect and recognition and mm-hmm. listen to them as much as possible. Right. Um, I don't think being a member like gives people authority over everything. Right. Uh, I think, you, you know, you gotta, gotta be careful, careful mm-hmm. with that. But yeah, I mean like I'm in community for the relationships at the end of the day. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I, is that how do you define relationships? I think I think we get to define them ourselves for what we want and how how we want to be, and um, the way the world is changing. I think we can make our own rules up, um, and I, I think perhaps we don't tune in enough to what we truly want. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we can support each other in many different ways. And sometimes it can be transactional with money. Other times it doesn't have to be. Um, I certainly do things for anybody without expectation of anything in return. And okay. I think that's that's a great way to live generally, as long as like you protect your own personal needs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, we can, we, we can, we can choose to live to get together in harmony, whether there's like transactional, uh, transactions behind what we do. Right. Um, I think, I think, you know, probably a lot of it is around clarity, clarity of why people are here, clarity of the rules. Yeah. Like cl- clarity of what you need as, as a community. Um, that's a very good point. Do, do you need to, when sh- should you define a set of rules of your community or should you even do it? Um, yeah, rules, I would say as like a very foundational thing of communities. Values so, kind of. Yeah. yeah, values, code of conduct, yeah. uh, terms uh, is always good to have from the outset. Um, but really you have to live live them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, you, you have to like decide what what your values are, what your culture is, how how you want to exist together, um, all those kind of things, and and that's what makes communities unique. There's like you know mm-hmm. people who want to exist in so many different ways. Um, I'm certainly, for example, in my forties, like hanging out with young like in some indie hackers at the moment are like 18 i'm like oh yeah. my god i've got yeah. an 18 year old that's interesting <laughs> it's, and it's not that i wouldn't hang out with 18 year olds but you know quite often it's like well maybe like every community kind of has its um life cycle mm-hmm. and just like ministry of testing perhaps came in at a certain point when the testing world needed uh something in testing um some sometimes i think like maybe most communities just have naturally die out at some point mm. and like a new wave of yeah. of thinking or doing or being happens but um yeah i guess like it's like you know i guess like i'm at a different point in life than other people and other people will want different things and that's yeah. and that's like fine but it's like you know but how do you manage that? Does your community grow old with you, or do you try to keep it like open for everyone? Uh, because, for instance, even even recently, someone came to me and said, uh, "I'm I'm an entrepreneur on my sixties. Uh, is there a place for me in the com- in the community?" And I said, "I guess most people are, I guess, a bit younger, but yeah, why not? Like everyone should be welcome. Uh, do you think that's that's true that everyone every age?" Should be welcome, or do you think that's the kind of also specific target age for for uh, your community? You know, I think you can welcome everyone, and I don't want it, I don't want it to sound specifically about age, but it's just like you know that's like one example of like how how like people gather is through age or through trends, and trends are often through mm-hmm. ages. 
Um, and I think it's like, um, you know, it's, it's not that saying we're 20 something old in this community. It's more a thing of, well, this is who we are. And uh, mm -hmm. the more you can communicate who the community is, then it's up to the members to decide mm -hmm. whether mm -hmm. they want to join or whether right. they want to right. stick with the community. And it's, it's, I guess it's, you know, about the transformation of the, of the whole process as well as like people, people come into a community and, and they come in as someone and they're going to leave as something else. It's like, right. And, and tr trying to think of that journey that they need to have and it'll be different for different people to a certain extent. But like, um, I don't think people in community necessarily plan that out. Like people have different needs. Um, Mm -hmm. de definitely like at Indie Hackers, like there's always this like life cycle where it's, it's, it's always like, not always, but like the majority of people participating in, in the forum are, are, are newer to Indie Hacking, whereas True. like the, the experienced people are no longer in the forums because they're off like busy building their business. Yeah. yeah. Um, but maybe they can still be involved in the community in a different way. And maybe the way of involving them is like getting them on the podcast, which. Uh, Cortland does do you know but mm. it's like what are the experiences that you can des design for um, different people in the community that would also benefit other people like the, the new type people so like getting the experienced people to talk about their experiences or to do the text-based interviews yeah it's helpful for the new people and the new people come in and ask questions mm. and maybe the ex experienced people won't directly answer it but maybe with um the answer is in a podcast that someone could link to, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so, like I say, I think there's a lot of like tactical type strategies that that could be implemented if you kind of think of uh, the the members having a journey and like what what they need along yeah. along that journey. Yeah, that's very interesting. It's very very interesting because at this point, all the WB members are kind of starting bootstrappers but i guess hopefully if my community does well they will succeed right they'll make millions but they'll succeed so then the, their needs will be different so how do i keep them still how do i keep the community still relevant for them that, that's a very good uh question here that that i will have to figure out i guess it's, it's a problem for the future tiago or, or, or do you need to or will it, can you accept that some yeah, people graduate sure. and it's okay and and that's your success if people graduate that's your success and yeah. maybe, maybe you could keep a list of all the people who graduate and have an MRR of over 10k for example so yeah. these people have left because they're just making so much money um they've they've moved on and here's a list of them as yeah. like social proof kind of thing they um, become the alumni right like white yeah. also has this right like they have the alumni people and they, yeah. they come for like lectures and this kind of stuff so <laughs> yeah that's a very very good idea i want to know a little bit about the story behind indie hackers and how you you came to this community um can you tell me like uh, did Cortland just come to you and ask you to join how did that go I did Ministry of Testing, and um, when Cortland launched Indie Hackers, um, he, you know, he was posting it on uh, Hacker News, and that's how I learned about Indie Hackers at first. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then I was like, oh, uh, I can submit my interview. Uh, it was text-based interview. That's like how Indie Hackers started um, for Ministry of Testing. And I, it was something that I'd, you know, I had meant to do for a long time, just like kind of put pen to paper about like my journey and how much I made and like stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I did the text-based interview. It was like one of the, you know, it was fairly early on. I think it was like uh, number 17 or 18 or something. Um, wow. <laughs> and there's, I think there's hundreds now. But um, yeah. so that was like my first introduction to indie hackers, um, and then probably a year or two later, probably two years maybe, um, as as indie hackers had grown and it was like now more of a community, I was trying to step back from ministry of testing, um, and uh, I had already had got like the CEO in place and he was like running things. Um, but I think if you, if you run a business for 10 years, it's really hard to like properly detach yourself. Yeah. Like, I was thinking hard, the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to, you know, stop checking the emails to stop ch- checking the Slack. Yeah. To, to it's your like, baby as well. Yeah. Right. Like now someone is taking over that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think like at a certain point it becomes frictional because it's like, um, I'm trying not to help, but then I end up helping, and then I end up pissing people off because I shouldn't be helping. Um, so ultimately, I thought like, oh, I, I need to, I need to have an excuse not to check in on ministry yeah. tests and stuff. Um, and I always had in the head, in my head, that when I stopped doing ministry of testing, I wanted to either start like a, some kind of businessy type community. Mm-hmm. Or start focusing on community community stuff, um, but as as part of the, the steps to get towards there, I was like, I need to show up more on indie hackers and participate and just like see what people are talking about. Um, I hadn't really been keeping up to date, and just on one of those days that I was I was like checking in, I saw Cortland was saying he needed help with social media, and I was like, oh, I could do that. Uh, it's way under my 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 uh, pay grade yeah. or, or or level, um, but I I just need an excuse to get into something different to just try something out different. And um, my my reasoning was like actually it'd be really interesting to see how, how indie hackers is run behind the scenes. Right. And even if I'm just doing the social media, I can still get an insight to a certain extent of ha- how things are run and that would be a huge learning opportunity for me. Um, so I just messaged Cortland and I was like, hey, I could do that. And he was like confused. He was like, what? I thought you were like running <laughs> Ministry of Testing. And I was like, no, I'm stepping back. So we had a chat and then that that chat basically t- turned into um, him saying, you shouldn't do the social media. You should just like run the community and I was like, "Yeah, wow. I'm up for that. Let's go." <laughs> <laughs> and what what were your first, like, that ta- not tasks but ideas to get the community running? Do you remember some some particular idea that worked really well with the indie hackers? Most of it was kind of instigating, like, conversations mm. and supporting conversations and and keeping it clean because it, it had a spam problem. Yeah. Um still has probably to some extent. I, yeah. I don't know. 
<laughs> You're talking yeah. with a spammer right here. So. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I guess, like, you know, I, I had no one leading it, I guess. It's like bringing, bringing that energy into it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what I kind of ended up doing. And I ended up bringing social media into it, at least Twitter, mm-hmm. um, as part of my job as well. And I took over the Twitter account. Um, and and that was a lot of fun, like yeah. kind of. Um, I I grew like the Twitter account from like twenty thousand to uh, like sixty or seventy thousand at the wow. time. Wow! Um, Which kind of content would you share? Like you would just share the best posts or something like that, or? I I would share. I would either like li- my philosophy. My philosophy was like, how can I lift members up? How can I support members? Mm-hmm. Um, or how can I find like really interesting and educational bits that people are sharing and then mm-hmm. share it on Twitter? Um, and without linking back, it was more like, how can I do it with images? How can I do it just like summarizing it in a tweet? Yeah. Um, to, you know, I guess like the, the Twitter algorithm doesn't like links. So it's like, how can I, how can I get creative mm-hmm. with using Twitter without links to grow the Twitter following? Um, and you know, it, it did well, like in just over a year, growing it like an extra 40,000, 50,000 um followers with but mostly just me, me tweeting. Um, I think as, as a kind of business account, as a product account, mm-hmm. it's actually quite hard to do that. It's the it has been a bit easier these days, I think. There's like been a huge surge but like i stepped back over a year ago now um and it or and i started doing the twitter the twitter like three years ago two and a half years ago maybe now okay so it's like it's not quite i feel like the twitter game has <laughs> has been upped and uh, not necessarily in the best best way but um you know like the, the twitter game like two and a half years ago it wasn't so so competitive as it is. Yeah, Twitter I feel like it, crazy. It, yeah, yeah. I, f- I feel like Twitter is very, very competitive. Um, yeah, like attention seeking. Yeah, stuff. Yeah, um, definitely. You have to you have to spend hours on Twitter if you want to grow it. Now it's really crazy. Um, but uh, yeah, w- one thing that you mentioned, like so, Twitter or indie hackers, is a lot of people speak about them as being communities, right? Uh, and and for me. I, I compared Twitter, for instance, with, with the WB space, and I think, okay, they are very different communities. And I think also uh, one thing that you said uh, earlier kind of made me click, which is Twitter is also a way, or any indie hackers too, a way to build an audience, right? So it's both. It's both a community and a way to build an audience. And and same with indie hackers. So a lot of people use it as a spam or marketing, let's say. It's as a marketing channel. Um, and I, for instance, I use indie hackers because I, I like it. I think a lot of my target people are also there too, but I also learn a lot. But if, if I wouldn't get also something in return in terms of like traffic for my website, I probably wouldn't use it, but then it can also become very spammy. So how do you manage this? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a problem that people won't use communities if they can't get traffic. Exactly. It's it's a huge huge problem, and, and it's 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 one that India hackers like uh, has. Well, it doesn't have to, but they they have challenges with it. I mean, I I, I see it now when people 
every two two or four weeks someone complains on India because uh, oh there's there's too much self promotional stuff. You know it's it's true. Uh, I I, I do, what what is the answer to that? I mean you know if it was me I would I, I would have liked to have cracked down on some of the content a long time ago. But um, I think like people associate sites like indie hackers so indie hackers is a, i would say is a community but then like uh there's you know there's a fine line basically between communities and uh i don't know networks or what you know audiences on mm-hmm. on communities um and i just think the problem is that people go to communities and they want to take and they don't want to give back. So I would argue right. in many cases that the majority of indie hackers is actually not community because most of the people are going going there are taking the marketing channel, yeah. Yeah, and they're not they're, they're not truly giving. Um, sure. And e- even the people who complain, I look at every everyone who complains, I still check it and I still like, you know, <laughs> keep my eye on it. Even the people who complain, not all of them but a, a good chunk of the people who complain about oh it's it's too self promotional mm-hmm. um there are people who have never co- contributed or have con- contributed like five yeah. five comments and they and then they're complaining that uh, they post something and they don't get any responses interesting um and like yes people should get responses to the stuff that they're putting out there um but also like to to request that you should you shouldn't be you know you shouldn't like complain about that if you haven't given back yourself yeah so it's like um if if you get you know if you've gone there and maybe given like a hundred comments a hundred things that you've done to support people and help people and you've not gotten any good results or like feedback or conversations out of it then then maybe you should complain but like i think i, I just think it's 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 very unfair for people to uh, give communities a hard time partly because like it's really hard to build communities yeah but like partly people are just taken all the time and they just can still want you know they complain that they don't get the results they don't complain that they don't get attention and mm-hmm. um, that that's not really what communities are there for and yeah. like, we celebrate when when we're on the front page of indie hackers or hacker news mm-hmm. you know that's like the the winning scenario mm-hmm. but maybe we should seek other reasons to celebrate maybe we should celebrate the fact that we found a cool product on indie hackers or maybe yeah we, we've helped someone or you know i don't know but i just think like the culture of community is is not it's misaligned i guess yeah the expectations are misaligned. Yeah, the expectations are misaligned. That's very true. Yeah, totally agree. And then one way, for instance, to fix that, I think Reddit does that, right? Like they have mods and they have and they have people, and everyone is very uh, strict about spam. But then it becomes a hostile environment. I feel like every time I share something on Reddit, it's I always get shit from people, you know, they, they come at me and they say, Hey, why are you spamming? Or even if it's something that I put a lot of thought on it, they, they either downvoted and there's a lot of mean people on, on Reddit. And it's a community that I want to, I don't want to be part of anymore because it's just, 
it's mean actually uh and uh, and windy hackers and tweeters uh, they are better right like people are nice and one thing that i really enjoy about indie hackers is the option that i can do markdown and then i can link to my product without sounding spammy all right so if i'm answering in a comment and i'm writing down i always try to bring some value to the post and i always kind of forward people also a little bit to to my website if it's relevant Right, so I think maybe that's the way. I I give a little bit and I take a little bit, you know. But but also like um, the indie hackers, the product directory, it's like people post there because they want immediate results, right? Often mm-hmm. it's like in most cases, and people um, often end up stop. They stop posting when they don't see the results coming. But instead right. of like seeking the results, seeking the click-throughs or the comments, they could post to the, to their product pages as as a way to give back to the community, right? It's not It's not about them. It's like, this is our journey, and we're going to come back here occasionally, once a month, once a quarter, once a year, mm-hmm. and post an update. And just do it because it's it's the right thing to do, it's a good thing to do, and yeah. um, your future self will thank you because when someone says, oh, I'd love to hear your journey as, as, a, as a bootstrapper, you can say, here you go. Here's a link to Indie mm-hmm. Hackers, and here's everything like I've written about my yeah. my product, right? And I think that's what people miss is like that that they're seeking the the um, dopamine, the quick results, mm-hmm. but really they should they should be in it for the long time, long term. Yeah. And they um and and basically like community is such a hard game, right? It's like we can never. It's so hard like being a community builder because you can never please everyone, and there's always always people complaining and it's always like you're never doing a good enough job mm-hmm. um and I th- yeah. I, that's the challenge i think like somehow we we have to get better at educating the members of the community so that it's 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 not this like this selfish game of taking it's like you know we have to we have to give and understand that long-term value mm-hmm. of giving yeah I think those are very nice, wise words. As, as a, a last question for you, Rosie. So I, I consider myself now, like my main product is, is having this community, but I find it sometimes really hard to explain to my family and friends what I'm doing. Uh, even though uh, it's amazing for me actually to know that you, you've been doing this kind of path or journey for, for so long, because for me, building a community is something that is still not very understood as a, as a profession. Right, so how do you explain to your to your family, to your kids, to your friends, uh, what what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good question. I, th- I think I have different answers for for different people. Mm-hmm. Someone that doesn't understand very well, like the internet, let's say. <laughs> yeah, like my mom, I just tell her I run a business, and as part <laughs> of that, I, I run events. I I don't really go into further detail. Because it's like it just turns into something that you know it, it'll turn into like a a, a days long conversation. Yeah. Um, for for other people who don't get tech, I just again I I kind of tap into like I work in tech and I work and I run my own business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like building communities. But even like when I say building communities, they're like, what? How do you build? exactly? Yeah. There's a lot of people that aren't in our bubble. So, like, in my bubble, I'm like, I build communities and people totally yeah. get it. But, like, non-tech people, they they think of communities as 
maybe your local community or you know and not a profession right like you cannot make money out of it right that's what people think Mm -hmm. yeah um but yeah overall i feel very fortunate just to be able to do what i'm doing and to be to to, to have been able to tap in into into the work we do yeah um because locally most of the people around me just like yeah they don't have a clue they can't build websites they can't use no code yeah they don't know what no code is they don't you know you start talking tech they're like what (laughs) (laughs) true yeah but um First of all, glad to know that it's not only me. <laughs> it's really hard to explain, but uh, hopefully in the future people will understand. Now you can say that you're a YouTuber and people understand as being a profession. So I think in the future you can see that you're a community builder and they will also understand. Rosie, thank you so much for uh, your time. It was a really pleasure to learn from you and learn from your journey. It was really nice. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Tiago. I will uh, share... Your uh, Twitter profile, Rosyland, anything you want me to share, really, I will share it in the show notes of this episode. And uh, now for the listeners, if you like this kind of content, if you want to learn from the journey of other entrepreneurs, make sure to go to wannabe-entrepreneur.com. If you are a bootstrapper and you are looking for a place to build your product for like-minded people, make sure to check out also the WB space our virtual co-working space for bootstrappers. The links will also be in the show notes. This was another wannabe entrepreneur. See you next time.